0: welcome to the male factor infertility podcast everything you need to know about male factor but no one's telling you join a rogue doctor who's stepping outside of the mainstream medical model to share the best methods that address the most common male factor challenges most importantly we'll cultivate the mindset and give you the tools you need to break through thanks for tuning in today i'm dr adam tice Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast today. Dr. Adam Tice here today. We have a really great session today. So we're going to really dive in today and we're going to get a little bit more clinical today. And I want to spend some time and I want to just kind of, again, lay a different kind of a groundwork, more of the, I guess you could say the, the traditional side of the groundwork, which is the definitions, the statistics, the diagnostic criteria. And then what I want to do is walk you through so we have an understanding of what really is the male factor and let's unpack it. Let's go through this. And again, we're going to go through the definitions, the different statistics, diagnostic criteria. And really what I want to do is put us out at the place, output us at the place of solutions, and I really want to kind of segue and introduce what I think is the real specialty, and this is the era of what real personalized medicine is going to be, and we have to view a few this through this lens, otherwise we're going to end up in the domain of the undetermined and unexplained, and idiopathic means we don't know why, so what we're going to do is walk through that. So first of all, let's just start with the definitions infertility it is defined and diagnosed as the, it's the inability to achieve pregnancy after 1 year of regular unprotected sexual intercourse and this can be a roller coaster guys i mean there's ups and downs it can be extremely emotionally you know a lot of emotions here physically financially stressful and there's a lot to consider and so my hope is today again to go through this and let's get some clarity and really, some solutions because that's what we're most interested in is creating healthy, happy, vital families, and we gotta have the proper understanding, and we gotta do the good medicine first. You have to do the good medicine first. We have to do the good medicine, and this a real, this is a common mistake that I see out there. It's probably one of the, one of the biggest mistakes that I see, especially in a lot of the quote alternative communities, uh, you know, alternative medicine communities, and. and and I understand this. I get this. And it is It is such a slippery slope. And this is the slippery slope that I walk on every single day. And I have for the last 12 years, you know, practicing good medicine, doing good medicine, getting a good workup, identifying are there pathologies in the way that are roadblocking the, the positive outcomes in the case, you know, and we have to do that good medicine because the most common mistake is that people, if everything looks okay on the surface, they might just start go ahead and empirically treating, like maybe taking some supplement, trying to do something maybe that they read or worked up, which it's so slippery on both sides because on the one side, you want to be educated and empowered empath- and you want to be your own doctor. And I really promote that. I think you need to be your own doctor. You need to remember that you are the boss in that relationship, in the doctor patient relationship. I think that's super important that most people need to be reminded of that, you know, there is that power play white coat dynamic that's set up, you know, and it's the, and, and, but the reality of it is, is, us as consumers as patients as consumers in that sense we're the boss we really do if we don't like the way that a provider is approaching or the way that they're treating or diagnosing there's nothing wrong with firing your doctor And go get another doctor, get a second opinion. This is a big part of what I do in my clinic is is actually second opinions on fertility and infertility cases. And again, to try to dive in and and get some answers where many, many, many times people try things on their own. They may or may not ever go get worked up. And I think that's a mistake. I think if you've been trying to create a family and you're having some issues, it's good to get a good workup. I do promote good medicine, good workup, and that's what I think the Dominant School of Medicine is really, really good at. And that is one thing that we should utilize that information because the information can be empowering and we need to know that. And again, the Dominant School of Medicine is that's what the specialists are really good at, at working things up. And that's really important so that we can know, so that we can better fine tune our therapies. You know, this is something that statistically it's estimated that somewhere in the neighborhood of 15% of the couples in the in the US are infertile. And in that sense it's really interesting because infertility could be considered if we frame it that way where the prevalence of a health issue reaches 15% of a a given population, that's a public health issue. That's a public health issue means that's a big deal. So I think this situation that we're talking about is definitely, it is at a critical point and that is part of my mission and part of the reason that I'm here and part of the reason that, that we really need to ring the alarm on this one and really need to unpack this issue because humanity depends. Depends on it. <laughs> the. Birth rates have been declining for years, and I'd have to double check these statistics, but I think in countries like Japan, there's basically, they're losing population. They're losing population, and it is not an issue of too many people on the planet. There's not, at the rates that we, if the rates continue, the fertility rates continue to decline, we will have negative population growth. We're not going to have too many people on the planet. And that's a little bit of another discussion. Even if we did, there's a misallocation of resources on the planet and we could provide power, food and shelter and all the basic amenities, healthcare, and everything for everybody. Maybe we we can solve all the world's problem in another pod. But, you know, statistically, this is a public health issue. This is a big deal. And this is something that a lot of people are dealing with. And I think that, you know, the historically, the pressure, all the pressure of this falls on the females societal pressures and the blame have t- Typically, historically, been focused on the women. And I think this is not appropriate. This is not correct. This is not healthy. And we need a course correction here because it creates a strain in the relationships. It creates a strain on the family unit. If there are kids, you know, kid number one, two, and maybe somebody's working on kid three or four, you know, there's all the dynamics of the relationship get strained. And I think that the dynamic between mom and dad between mother, father needs to be harmonious in the household. And that's part of this creative process is going on. So a lot of stress gets put on the women here and the guys here. We really need to take our part in this because this is about being healthy ourselves. And I mean, the data has consistently shown that the males are that we are the cause of up to 50 percent of this this infertility that we see so it's at least a 50 50 thing guys so you know we got to do our part and we have again the the and this is not always easy because it means sometimes changing our patterns and changing things and doing things that, and taking that step that is going to make us a little bit more healthy a little bit more robust a little bit more fertile and we got to take that kind of radical self responsibility there and and really step up to that so basically the numbers that we're talking about statistically are going to add up to 7% approximately of the married couples in the US that are unable to conceive due to male factor infertility, which if we Splash all that out and add all that up, we're talking about somewhere in the neighborhood of 8 million people. Okay, So that's who we're talking to and that's what we're talking about. And again, the male infertility is not just a male issue. It's a female issue um, because all of the, the, the societal burden and the reproductive treatments, they're focused on the infertility of the females. All of it falls on the female infertility. And we really need to look at this undiagnosed male infertility. And that's partly what we're doing today. And, you know, when we do that, when we do the good workup, it's the semen analysis that we're looking at. And that's been the cornerstone of evaluating male infertility. Although it is imperfect, it is not a 100%. It is insufficient to diagnose the male infertility, but it's the best tool that we have. It's one of the only tools that we have. And one of the only quantitative analytical tools that we have is is to get a count on the semen, let's evaluate this. You know, we've this that just a little bit about the history. The semen analysis has been a clinical standard really since the 30s and 40s, and it became more widely accepted when the WHO, the World Health Organization, officially adopted this in 1980 as an evaluation strategy. So this includes both the quantitative measures. This is semen volume, sperm count, and the qualitative measures the viscosity, the morphology, the motility, these kinds of things. And that's what we're looking at when we're when we're doing the semen analysis and You know, one interesting thing here over time, if you look at, you know, for example, we've been using this analytical tool since the 30s, you know, the 30s and 40s. And I think if you look at the fertility rates have have dropped dramatically. I don't have these numbers just right in front of me. It was a part of the show notes today, but I was looking at this a couple of weeks ago. And I remember in the 40s, the sperm count was in the neighborhood of 140 million. And then by 1970, it was around like 65 or 70 million. And now today, 20 million is considered acceptable. And acceptable is very different from optimal. And most successful couples are going to at least, uh, your your chances are going to be much, much greatly enhanced if it's at least around the 50 million mark. But that being said, count alone is not... The determinant here of fertility or conception. And this is part of what we've looked at. You know, so basically what's happened, the WHO and the, the agencies that set out the guidelines, for example, for sperm motility and sperm count in this case, they move the goalpost on us. So what was normal in the 40s and 50s, and the 60s and the 70s, and the 80s and the 90s, they move the goalpost and they dropped the bar. So the bar is very low now. But most people don't know that. They say, oh, the sperm counts are normal. He 20 million or 40 million, that's put it in perspective and scale matters. And and I think that helps to look at that time analysis and kind of think about this: like what is up with that. What's going on? Why are we having to move the goalpost? And by the way, this is not the only time that the the goalpost gets moved, okay? This has happened with cholesterol numbers. It's happened, they most recently did it actually with pediatric developmental milestones. So things that a child is historically, naturally, you know, the milestones for one year, those have been changed now and it's okay if it's a year and a half. So do you see what I'm saying? The goalpost moves. The world is very very different than it was in the 40s and 50s okay so the environment is very different we have so so many different plastics and synthetics and solvents and chemicals and registered chemicals and herbicides and pesticides and things like this so we're really dealing we're really living in two worlds so you almost can't even compare those old numbers to today because the world we live in is so different it's apples and oranges it's very different and the standards were that was a very different population. They had very different levels of environmental toxicities, which act as stressors, those neuroendocrine stressors in the system. And it was more or less a fertile population. I mean, anybody that talks to their grandparents, if, you know, they are or, you know, people that come from the old country or, you know, the, the, the great grandparents that grew up where they if you didn't grow it or it was a somewhere, you know, one of your neighbors grow it or or cultivate it, then you didn't have it. And so freshness was not an issue. And we didn't have the issue. We did not have uh, the world of, of Monsanto and DuPont with, with, you know, registering thousands of unrecognizable synthetic chemicals. They're unrecognizable to the biology. The biology has evolved over thousands of years, millions, of years. Okay. And then within the span of basically one or two generations, the metabolism has to find a way to deal with this. So, you know, there's a lot of issues here, you know, the system and even the, the medical workup, this is we're kind of highlighting some of the shortcomings of that, you know, very different population, you know, in addition to that, there are laboratory variations between labs or between docs. They, we, you know, we may say different things, we may have different acceptable limits, and this is all very confusing. And we're basically trying to look at something and sort of indirectly measure fertility by looking at just the property of of semen, of sperm count and things like this. And so it's definitely has some shortcomings and is definitely not an absolute predictive measure unless it's the case where the male makes no sperm. That makes the case there. But you guys get the point, you know, the essential features, sperm count, motility, morphology, you know, we can do that. But what about other things that we can't assess? We can't assess those intracellular sperm components, the very DNA and the centrioles Kind of the powerhouses in uh, of the sperm. We don't have those. The uh, the laboratory sciences haven't got to that point. Okay, so there is there are some shortcomings of the workup. But that being said, it is invaluable and it can lead us into to this domain of of assessing infertility and drilling it down. Is it male factor? Is it female? Is it both? Which I think in most cases it is both, and we can see you know it's estimated that basically a third of the cases are male factor, a third of the cases are female, and then the other third fall in this category of unexplained. And that's really an interesting place to be. You know, the criteria for male infertility can be divided into two main domains. The domain of male factor infertility, where the male partner is known to be infertile, by diagnostic tools. So there is an abnormal semen analysis. And then that infertility itself can be broken down into two categories. So the explained male factor, which means there's a known cause for the abnormal semen analysis. Now, this can be a couple of main things. It can be due to anatomical uh, reasons or hormonal reasons or genetic environmental reasons. Now, the other group is idiopathic male infertility. All that means is that we don't know. There is an unknown cause for an abnormal semen analysis. And so that's the foundation of the, of the evaluation. So a little bit of a dead end road there. We have this other category that comes out of this when we start to analyze this. And this is the unexplained male infertility. And this is males with normal semen analysis, but they're unable to impregnate due to unknown causes. And this is this when we take these two groups, this idiopathic group. We call idiopathic means we don't know. There's an abnormal semen analysis, but we don't know why. And then we take this other group. There's a normal semen analysis, but they're unable to, to impregnate. Then we don't know why. This group is the undetermined group. And it comprises these two groups that I just mentioned. The idiopathic, abnormal semen analysis, no known cause. And the unexplained means normal semen analysis, but unable to to make a baby, okay? And this is no man's land. This is where I actually work, in no man's land where, and, and this is where a lot of people, you can get basically overlooked here because a lot of infertility, the male factor, can just be overlooked if the semen analysis is normal. And then again, that shifts back over and begins to focus on the female, but again, I think there are things in this category, and this is about 20% of the infertile males that we're talking about of this undetermined infertility, there is a lot that can be done here and it gets lost, overlooked, unaddressed in the dominant schools of medicine, in the primary care offices, in the endocrinologist office, in the reproductive endocrinologist offices. And in the IVF clinics, and you get the point, it just gets unaddressed. It says, oh, the analysis is fine. Everything's good. But there is so much more to look at. And I think that's one of the that this is what really ushers us into the domain and the era of personalized medicine, because, you know, we need a more holistic a more comprehensive investigation and so that we can discover and uncover these undiagnosed issues. And this is the domain where naturopathic medicine really works. This is the domain where I work and it's the domain of the undetermined, the idiopathic, the unexplained. And this is exactly what we're talking about so if you find yourself in that category of undetermined idiopathic unexplained this is exactly what we're talking about i think i would highly highly recommend that you get a second or a third opinion and let somebody with a different perspective look at your case because oftentimes we don't have the luxury of time we don't have the luxury of just taking our time and figure out what's going on. You guys know what I'm talking about. The clock's ticking for most of us, right? I mean, okay, if, if you're truly here, I think it's excellent. If you are here and you're just kind of doing your homework, you're super on top of it. Okay, but for most people, people are busy with their lives and their jobs and the days fly by and next thing you know, you've been going to school for years and years, you spent years, you know, working on your career, building your professional, you know, side of your life, building your business or, you know, many, many, many different things. And so the clock's ticking now, and we don't have the luxury of time. So If you're working with someone, I think you should get, and you're not getting successful outcomes don't give up. Go get a second opinion. Go get a third opinion. Get a new set of eyeballs. Get a new perspective. Let somebody look at this that might have a different lens. And it's somebody that can really do a root cause analysis. And that's really kind of what I'm hoping that the pod today will help you guys do is do your own root cause analysis. And in that sense, take that responsibility because nobody else is going to. And doctors like me are We're really an endangered species. Okay. So that is partly um, again what the sense of urgency is, what you know, what the sense of purpose is and the passion for me really is 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 to get out and get the message out and give people some tools because one on one in the clinic, we can work with so many people. And like we said earlier, there's seven, eight, nine million people out here trying to deal with this. So if we can reach a few of those people and drill it down and do a good root cause analysis, do a good clinical Clinical workup, get a good whole person, a good personalized strategic plan in place where we're looking at the things that are going to put you in the category of unknown and undetermined. You know, this is the domain where we need to be looking at other factors. um, And this is the domain that naturopathic medicine really works in. And this is what I've seen where the world of the specialist ends. And this is really where the world of the naturopathic workup begins, where we're doing, doing the good root cause analysis, going through and and give it, giving a second opinion on this and get a second lens on it so we can get the shift that we need, that the body needs. Because even sometimes labs look good. I know everybody's heard it. Either you've heard it or you've heard somebody else say it. They get the workup, they get the labs. And this goes for health in general, you know, you go to the doctor, you get the workup and they look and doc says, Hey, everything's fine. And you know that something ain't right. That something is not right. That there is some kind of perturbance. There is some kind of disturbance. There is some kind of imbalance in the system. And this is often previewed by you know, changes in digestion or changes in energy or sudden changes in mental, emotional states. you got to look at all of this. And this is the real comprehensive, personalized, deeper dive that needs to be done if you want to get the best results and if you really want to optimize things. And if you are trying to normalize some kind of uh, laboratory analysis, this is where you have to to go And if you are being told that everything is normal, but you're still not successful, then something else has to be going on. And this is where we're in the realm of the holistic, personalized naturopathic medicine. So that is, that's the download that I wanted to kind of go over today for the pod, you know, definitions, statistics, criteria, and this, this idea, you know, remembering that you are the boss of your medical care. Care, and that if you don't like, you know, do your research, get empowered, be respectful, for sure. But be curious and be relentless in the sense that don't stop until you're successful or you you get some answers, you get some solutions. And then most importantly, you get some tools and some strategies and some methods and that's what this pod is all about you know if you want some tools some strategies some methods tune into the further episodes because we're going to be talking about those or you can tune into some of the previous episodes and we've already been talking about some of that stuff wanted to do a more of a clinical approach today because again i think that good medicine is good important good and 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 super important because we need to know what's going on the information is empowering and um that's where we're at. So this is um, this is a good place to pause, guys. You have a wonderful day. Be sure to tune into next week's episode and um, we'll see you next time. Adios for now. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you found it useful. If you want to stay in touch, be sure to sign up for the newsletter. You can follow me on Instagram at Mayo Factor Infertility with Dr. Adam Tice. And For more information, you can also visit the website, mayofactorinfertility.org, and you can find out more about the fertility practice and the clinic side of things. Uh, There's links for everything in the description. And of course, be sure to tune in to next week's episode.